Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. We got an email from a listener named Susan who wrote... While climbing up my family tree, I found the given name Hate Evil. What would one call that kind of name? I'm assuming they were Puritans. And Grant, it turns out that there were indeed Puritans who went by the first name Hate Evil. It's just like it sounds, a combination of hate and evil. And there is a term for this kind of name. It's called a hortatory name. And that's hortatory. Hortatory. It's from the Latin for encourage or urge. And these hortatory names were given to children as a way of exhorting them to, to live up to that quality. So, for example, there were little Puritan babies with these names, these hyphenated names like be courteous, search the scriptures, sorry for sin, and fight the good fight of faith. That is far beyond patience, hope, charity, yes, and so it? forth, right? <laughs> isn't it? And those were the exceptions. I mean, most of them uh, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, for example, mm-hmm. the vast majority of them had names like Sarah and Elizabeth and Mary and John and Joseph. But then you had the occasional abstinence, comfort, deliverance, Increase and humiliation. Mm-hmm. That's a humble name, increase, right? Increase, Mather. We all know increase, yeah, right? right? Yeah, It's kind of odd, isn't it? And the list goes on and on. There was at least one child named Wrestling. Uh, <laughs> Wait, like arm wrestling? Kind I, of wrestling I'm, with a w? I'm thinking it's wrestling between good and evil. Ah, or, you know, very good. Wrestling yes. with big questions. And then another one named Thanks. Can you imagine? Thanks <laughs> grows up and you're saying. I'm sitting here going, what are the nicknames for these people? <laughs> Hate evil? Do they just call her Haiti? Yeah. Or Hattie? <laughs> Something like that. Or, hey, thanks. Would you hand me that? Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Oh, my. I bet they went by their middle names, every one of them. A friend of mine here in San Diego recently had a brand new beautiful baby girl, and he named her, well, her middle name is Peligro, the Spanish word for danger. So her her middle name is literally danger. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking that was odd. Well, sometimes they were middle names. Sometimes they had big, huge middle names, like, if Christ had not died for thee, thou hadst been damned. That's a middle name. Yeah, he became an economist, I think. Seriously. We'd love to hear about the historical names in your family. What did they used to call your great-great-greats? We Just do tell us, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Howdy, Grant. Hi, Martha. This is Jacob Williamson from Austin, Texas. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Welcome to the show. Thank you. How can we help? Well, there is a type of joke or maybe a joke structure that seems to have been making the rounds lately on uh, radio ads. uh, It might be a perception bias, but the joke might go something like, um, what's the difference between a lawyer and a wolf? One's a ravenous predator that preys on the sick and the weak and the old and the dying, and the other's a wolf. So (laughs) if you were doing it as as an ad, and I'll I'll try to do the voice, um, What's it like driving the new Sunday Omega 4 versus the other top-selling car? One has a 3.6-liter V6 six-speed transmission, uh, 360-degree moving object detection system, and built-in waffle iron sandwich grill, and the other is just a car. <laughs> so what I'm wondering is, um, when I, what I learned from my English degree is that in rhetoric, there's a word for everything, every turn of sentence structure or argument type. So I'm wondering if there's a word for this sort of bait-and-switch joke. Mm-hmm. Well, the term I was going to use was bait-and-switch joke, actually. Oh, what? <laughs> I don't know that there's anything more technical than that. I mean, it's sort of grant a, uh, a version of a paraprosdokian. Are you familiar with that one, Jacob? Uh, you mentioned it recently, but I don't quite remember it. Yeah, it comes from Greek words that mean contrary to expectations, and it's, uh, you know, it's lines like, I wondered why the baseball was getting bigger, and then it hit me. <laughs> or Einstein developed a theory about space, and it was about time, too. Which is, <laughs> you know, we're... Oh, good, we got Grant on that well, one. Well, <laughs> hello. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so I would say it's a version of a paraprosdokian, but bait and switch is the only term I've ever really seen for that. And at um, a higher level, like a lot of jokes, what happens is at the very end of the joke, you are forced to reinterpret what you've just heard. So mm-hmm. it's called a forced reinterpretation. 
Um, reinterpretation. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. so many kinds of humor and comedy fall into that. And when you take joke writing classes, and they exist, or humor classes, if you're a public speaker or a comedian or a script writer, they'll talk to you about this, uh, trying to find that pacing so that you you force that reinterpretation at the right moment when your audience is mm-hmm. best primed to laugh at what they've just come to understand. Yeah. Right, and the short, short story works like that, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a variety of paraprosdokian, that's what I would say. But you're right, rhetorical terms exist for just about everything, don't they? Yeah, there's always a wonderful Latinate word for just that turn of phrase. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe um, some attorney listening knows this and will uh, call us. I just want more attorney jokes. <laughs> okay, what's the difference between a mosquito and a lawyer? One is a blood-sucking parasite and the other is an insect. I mean, you know, a, lot, what, a little of that goes a long way, I think. Yeah, that's true, that's true. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Sure, thanks, okay, Jacob. Sure thing. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 Grant, I have one more example of a bait-and-switch joke. How about this one? You'll appreciate it. There are two novels that could change a bookish 14-year-old's life, The Lord of the Rings and Atlas Shrugged. One is a childish fantasy that often engenders lifelong obsessions with its unbelievable heroes, leading to an emotionally stunted, socially crippled adulthood, unable to deal with the real world. The other, of course, involves orcs. <laughs> okay. Some people will find that funny. <laughs> I'll buy that. 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. And our Twitter handle is W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, this is Amanda Winger from Richmond, Virginia. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. I'm such a fan of your show. Oh, yay. <laughs> well, welcome. Glad to have you here. How can we help you? Well, I am the executive director of the Conductors Guild, which is an international organization for music conductors. Cool. And, yeah, we have an issue that just will not go to rest, so I'm hoping that you can help us. Okay. All right, we'll try. So our name, the Conductors Guild, we need to know whether there should be an apostrophe at the end or Conductor S or no apostrophe at all. Um, When we were founded... There was an apostrophe after the S, Mm -hmm. but somewhere along the way it dropped out, and um, we still have board meetings about it. I mean, we dedicate some time in our board meetings, so we kind of need to put this to bed. (laughs) How long has this been discussed? Well, not long, but, I mean, it it just won't die. When we think we've come to the decision, no apostrophe, uh, you know, I'll get an email from somebody, but here's why we should have an apostrophe. (laughs) And what do they say? I'm curious about their apostrophe philosophy. Well, the last one, I think someone quoted the elements of style or something, um, that it should be apostrophe S. I don't know. Um, But we we run across, um, also, you know, we'll go to hotels for events, and nine times out of ten, it's welcome, conductor, apostrophe S, guild. And so we all cringe. <laughs> so, I don't know. So would you say the majority of your members are apostrophe-free? Yes, I think so. Okay. And and are you allowed to say what you are? <laughs> I, I, I'm apostrophe-free as well. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you on this one. Me too. And uh, my feelings about it have changed. I used to like how it looked to have an apostrophe there, but... Um, you know, there's there's just so much room for confusion. Should it go between the R and the S? Should go, should it go on the end? I think for simplicity and clarity, just don't have it at all. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I really wish in school, Amanda, that they had taught us about the kind of adjective properties of nouns. Nouns can lend their characteristics to other nouns. And this is something that for some reason people have confusion with when they become adults. So I, it should be taught in the schools. That's what's happening here. If you want a version of this name that kind of solves the whole problem, you would call yourself Guild of Conductors. And there's no apostrophe called for at all there. And what we can see when we phrase it that way is there's no possession taking place here. The guild is not the property of the conductors. Actually, what's happening is the conductors are providing the characteristic of the guild. They are more or less describing the guild as being about conductors or related to conductors or, or somehow affiliated with conductors. But there's no ownership there. And, uh, and as this argument continues and you have more and more board meetings, because I know this isn't the final <laughs> word, just let us know what the progress is like. Yeah, okay? send us the minutes. <laughs> sure. Well, I'm hoping to close the case on this one. Okay. Yeah. Take good care. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. 877-929-9673.
You know when you're really kissed, I mean, good and well, yeah. and your toes kind of do that thing where they curl up? They curl, toe curling, I saw a yeah. term for that this week. Oh? It's called a foot pop. <laughs> the foot, foot pop. pop, yeah. The kiss is so good. Just yeah, your foot does that little thing. <laughs> I thought a foot pop was cold toes in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, that's popsicle toes. Sorry. Popsicle toes. <laughs> if you've heard any new words, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi. Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Javier uh, Garcia, uh, and also... I'm Flavio Schwartz. <laughs> oh, two guys. From, two uh, people on the La line. And you're calling from where? Uh, La Jolla. All right, here we go. Well, what's on your mind, gentlemen? We've been talking about uh, the way that I speak. So Flavio is from uh, Italy, and, uh, you know, I'm from, I'm from Texas. And he's noticed that I tend to use the word use <laughs> often. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Hello. And he actually came with a list of various things that I've said. <laughs> And I was wondering, like, if, uh, you know, this is a dialect thing or if, you know, this is just uh, me using lazy English. Are you <laughs> saying use? Like use, or, like, use guys or use, like, use something? Oh, he would use, for instance, he could use um, a glass of wine. Uh, so food, for instance, like ice cream, a glass of wine, coffee. But also he could use a shower. He could use a ride. He could use a nap. <laughs> he could use basically everything. Oh, and so, okay. I was wondering whether this is just like being lazy and use the word use for everything. And, um, yeah, or this is like proper English. Since I'm somehow learning English, yeah, I wanted to know this. Flavio, uh, he's, Javi uses it exactly like many other English speakers do. The word use has a lot of meanings, but one of them is to, to put into service or to employ. So technically he's correct. I could use a glass of wine means he could put a glass of wine into service to, to relax himself. Right? I could use a nap. He's going to employ a nap to mm-hmm. to um, restore his energy. It seems kind of informal, though, doesn't it? Oh, I could really use a But there's a no, nap no right way now. for us to know whether or not you are overusing it, Javi. I mean, is this oh. something that comes out every other line? Yeah, or are you saying I could utilize a glass of wine? That would be that would be wrong unless you unless you use the glass of wine to uh, clean something. If you're appropriating it for another use. Yeah. Maybe I do uh, utilize use a little too much. You know, try to diversify my lexicon a little bit. Uh, so it might not be lazy, but it might just be a faddish word for you personally, right? Uh, a yeah. faddish, yeah, faddish a kind of syntax. Yeah, I have it. I have it. Hmm. Yeah. You might be the happiest callers we've ever had, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for your call. If you've if you got any other disputes, uh, give us a ring sometime. We'll sort it out, all right? Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. All right. Uh, La Jolla sounds like a fun place. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm going to use a trip to La Jolla. Well, we, we like settling all sorts of disputes. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash w-o-r-d-s. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about words and language and how we use them. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now is our quiz guy, Greg Pliska. Hello, Greg. Hello, Martha. Hello, Grant. Hi, buddy. What's up? What do you have for us? I have another puzzle today, and it consists entirely of spoonerisms. That's where you shift the initial sounds on a pair of words. You're familiar with those, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So I will give you definitions for both the original phrase and the spoonerized phrase, and then you guess the phrases. Mm. So, for example, here are two definitions. The first is a stream of information in 140-character increments, and the second is a better-tailored suit jacket material. Tweet and tweed. But Mm. they need more than that, right? Yeah, you think uh, think about uh, a two-word phrase for the stream of information that comes in 100-character increments. Hmm, Twitter feed? Mm-hmm. And? Um, Witter, 
what something tweed swap the first sounds of those two words fitter tweed fitter tweed better tailored suit jacket material is fitter tweed okay also i should tell you that the first of the phrases will always be familiar or commonplace the second will usually be quite fanciful are you ready and terribly clever yes i'm ready the typical freelancer's wage metric and two mantas going out for dinner and a movie so hourly rate, <laughs> no, daily rate, and um, really. You're so close. Yeah, make it. Uh, hourly, daily day rate, rate, day rate. Day rate, yeah, day and rate day. and ray date. There we go. A day rate and a ray date, which is two mantas going out for dinner and a movie. <laughs> Very good. All right. How about, this is an item often seen in certain beer commercials. And the other is legislation to stop cows from ruminating. Can. Yeah, can. Mm -hmm. It's a a beer can? Uh, It's a specific brand. Bud can? A bud can. A bud can and a cud band. A cud band. band. (laughs) That's right. Going to stop those cows from ruminating. (laughs) All right. Uh, While we're on agriculture, let's try this one. A California agricultural area that runs roughly from Redding all the way to Bakersfield and an attack on the abdomen. <laughs> a central, a central valley <laughs> and a ventral sally. Oh exactly. My gosh. Um, a royal dansk dessert offering, often seen at Christmas time, and a guy who takes bets on a Coast Guard boat. So something cutter and butter and... Yep, yep, um, the dessert is a butter... Butter... Starts with a cuss. Cookie? Yes, Chris? butter butter, butter cookie. cookie. And cutter bookie. And cutter bookie, <laughs> the guy who oh takes bets on a Coast Guard boat. <laughs> All right, here's one from pop music. A street in a Beatles song and the discomfort caused by comedian Bruce. So Abbey Road? Mm. No? A different street in mm. a different Beatles song. Penny Lane and Lenny Payne? Exactly. <laughs> the discomfort caused by nice. Lenny Bruce. Uh, back to the world of delicious things to eat. Hamburger meat and a sad book, perhaps. Ground beef mm-hmm. and a bound grief. Exactly. <laughs> bound grief. <laughs> Good. Here's your last one. A little California one. This is a 2011 film and 2003 book about the Oakland A's innovative general manager, Billy Bean. And it's a place where rabbits go to shop. So it's Money Ball Ball and Bunny Bunny Mall. Mall. Exactly. I would like to go to a bunny mall. I definitely want to go to a bunny mall. Is it a place where rabbits shop or where you go to buy rabbits? I just hope they don't mind being petted. Oh, you know, it's a crowded goodness. bunny mall. You can squeeze right in there with all those furry little bees. They're popping up all over the place. Uh, where are my ears? <laughs> They're multiplying. Thanks, Greg, for the quiz. Super it's fun. a pleasure. Greg, that was amazing. See Take- you at the bunny mall. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> if you want to talk about language, this is the place. Call us, 877-929-9673. Send an email to words at waywardradio.org. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi, who's this? This is Murray. Hi, Murray. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from um, uh, Ontario, Canada, near Ottawa. Okay, very good. What can we do for you? you? Well, I've got a a question uh, about a phrase that's commonly used in uh, police circles here in in Ontario when uh, one of us wants the other to contact uh, by cell phone. Uh, The common phrase is, contact me on my shoe phone or contact me on my shoe and my question is, uh, I, I suspect this may come from Maxwell Smart, and have you ever heard of this phrase before? Well, only from the television show Maxwell Smart, for me, anyway. That's the kind of goofy spy show, right? He's like the, right. the hapless yeah. spy who, despite his mistakes, constantly catches the bad guy. Right. And most of the uh, folks that use the phrase now, I'm older than, than a lot of them, most of the guys have never, I, uh, and officers uh, have never seen this uh, uh, sitcom. It's an old 60s sitcom, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, 1965. A, but wasn't there a Steve Carell movie based on it? Oh, yeah. So maybe but they've seen well, that. Is that a common phrase? 
it's come up. I think I saw it in a Tom Clancy novel years ago, and it was um, in military circles. And I think they meant it was a phone that you kept on your person kind of surreptitiously. Like mm. um, you might have a cell phone in your literally in your boot or you might have it tucked in a pocket and so that you could make like these calls to high command without kind of going through channels. You can kind of well, just yeah, skip that the would procedures. Make sense too. This one is not nearly as – the phrase we use is simply to – Call me on the cell phone. There's not nothing, uh, nothing okay. more uh, elaborate than that. <laughs> yeah, it, but it makes perfect. If someone yeah. said to me, "Oh yeah, I'm going to call them on my shoe phone," it'd take me a second. I might giggle, but then I think I would get it. <laughs> oh sure, but you guys say, "Call me on my shoe." Yes, call me on my shoe phone. Call me on my shoe, cool. uh, especially if uh, you know contacting cruisers, car to car or something, uh, and you have to get off the air and for a more lengthy or, or private conversation. Well, we should. Go ahead and explain for our younger listeners who haven't seen the movie or the television show what we're talking about. Well, in the 1960s, there was a uh, spoof on Cold War spies uh, and uh, sort of uh, East versus West, and the uh, spy hero uh, or anti-hero was uh, Maxwell Smart, and he had a number of technical uh, items at his at his uh, disposal, uh, one of which, long before cell phones were invented, was basically a, a cell phone, a, a small phones that would fit in the heel of his shoe or in a pen or in other places. And uh, it was uh, rather comical to see him reach into a shoe or pocket or whatever and come up with a phone. Well, he, he right. well, the, what I was remembering, he had a heel that came off the shoe yeah. and there was a rotary dial underneath <laughs> and he would hold the, the sole of the shoe up yeah, to his yeah. face like a handset. <laughs> yes, and I recall another... Uh, one of the one of the shows where um, he was on the shoe phone and he got a call on his pen phone and he had to put the shoe phone on hold. He told us, <laughs> oh, I have to put you on hold because I have to take my pen. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so that's great. So so the police force up there in Ottawa use this? Well, in uh, Ontario, at least in uh, Ontario. Uh, more than just the city, there's, there's other services as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know what? We've got to hear from our other... I guess we have other listeners yeah. who are in the police forces around the country. My father was a cop for years and years, and I don't remember him ever using that. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist now. They may not have had cell phones back in the day. Well, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he was a cop, they mostly didn't. That's true. But, but my question is, it's said without any sense of irony or any reference to the show. People do say, call me on my shoe, and it's, it's just a normal way to say and it. And then you just move on? And then you just move on. Wow. Is there a yeah. sense of humor about it, or is it just? That's my question. Yeah. Well, it's yes, it's a sort of a lighthearted in joke, right, or, or an mm-hmm. in phrase. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe your like CEO wouldn't say it at a press briefing. No, no, no. This wouldn't be. Uh, this wouldn't be a, a public. Mm. Okay, gotcha. Uh, mm-hmm. Usage of the phrase just amongst uh, okay. ourselves. Oh, I love this. I gotta, I gotta say, Murray. Uh, if you come up with any more of this language that you think we should know, you should send us an email. We'll get you back on the show. All right. I'll do that because this is good stuff. Okay, nice talking to you. Thank you for calling. Really appreciate it. Take care now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You can call us on the shoe, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Here's a little language discovery for you. Okay. Well, this is old news, but it's new to me. Okay. You ever heard the term knuckle buster? Knuckle buster? No. These are the old chunk credit card machines. They call them oh, knuckle busters. Yeah, because if you use them incorrectly, you like scrape your knuckles across I the surface. I know that very well. Terrible device. Yeah. It's going for the carbons on them, yeah, right? Yeah. Knuckle yeah. buster. Do New- people still use those? Occasionally, if their little square reader's not working. Okay. You know those little devices you <laughs> yeah, put to the end, plug it into those, your phone. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if you've got a question about language, eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Email us words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Patty from Plano. Great to have you on the show, Patty. What's on your mind? Well, I was talking to my brother, and we had kind of a a, a moment of where did this come from? And we recalled when we were small kids, there was this little rhyme that my grandmother used to shout up the attic steps to us when we stayed at her house, and she wanted us all to hush and go to sleep. And we wondered where this rhyme came from. Here's the rhyme. It was uh, something like, order in the court... The monkey wants to speak. The first one to speak was a monkey for a week. Order in the court. The monkey wants to speak. The first one to speak was a monkey for a week? Is, yeah, is a monkey for a week, right. So, so you're at Grandma's house up in the attic doing shenanigans instead of going to sleep, <laughs> and she shouts this up the stairs at you. 
pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and then there would be, you know, an awful lot of giggling and holding your voice and not saying anything. And then, of course, the major accusations of who was the monkey. Right, right. <laughs> Nobody wanted to be the monkey. <laughs> yeah, but somebody inevitably was. Always. <laughs> Well, I'd never heard that one, but yeah, oh, I remember. My, my father tended to shout things that were much more, how shall I say, blue up the up the stairs oh, at us. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not, And do know, they work? Uh, never. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's the thing, right? She gives you an ultimatum like that, or he yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. And it <laughs> how long did it work, Patty? Oh, you know... In, in kid time, probably 30 seconds. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which felt like forever. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, order in the court. The monkey wants to speak. The first one to speak was a monkey for a week. Uh, this is a great piece of children's folklore, and it's got a good history. We know that it dates to at least the 1950s in the U.S., in England, in Scotland, and it shows up again and again in some respected literature. You can find it in a 1953 book written by Saul Bellow. Um, and also, it shows up in a really interesting recording made of a man known as Babe Kaplan, or Israel Kaplan was his first name, real given name, but they called him Babe. And it was published in 1961, and it's called When I Was a Boy in Brooklyn. And the whole thing is just filled with profane jargon and, and language and the rhymes from the schoolyard, just total kid stuff that he was remembering from when he was a boy in New York City in the, in the 20s and the 30s. But what's really interesting is how many versions we find of this popping up. Here's one. This is a longer one. Silence in the courtroom. The monkey wants to speak. Whoever speaks now is the monkey for a week. The monkey's in the courtroom eating a bowl of beans while Martha's on the toilet sinking submarines. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> well, you can put any name where Martha is there. <laughs> but the version you found was with Martha? Well, no, I added sinking the Martha. Su- oh. <laughs> sinking submarines. I don't want to know what that means. <laughs> There's a ton of these. Did, did you all use that one, Patty? Not that far. Not that far. <laughs> There's a no, ton. nobody accused anyone of, of submarines. <laughs> but, it, but it pops up again and again. And, and some of the earliest mentions of it make me think that it's a lot older than the 1950s. Because all the only line that appears is, the monkey wants to speak. And it's mm. said in this kind of suggestive, hinted, referential way as if everyone present in this particular work knows the whole larger explanation the whole larger uh-huh, rhyme uh-huh. and that they just needed to say the one line in uh-huh. order to make you think of the whole rhyme mm-hmm. so i wouldn't be surprised to find with a lot of digging that this goes back to the early 1900s or even earlier yeah it reminds me of last one there's a rotten egg you know i mean it, you just don't want to be that person <laughs> right. right the rotten egg or right. the monkey patty so there's a long history to this but thank you for sharing this and most of us probably haven't heard that before well thank you i appreciate it we were just a little curious so yeah, of it's, course we knew you would have the answer. We try. <laughs> Thanks, well, Patty. Thank you very much. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. We love those family stories about language. Let us know yours. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. something interesting the other day about poet Marianne Moore. Did you know that she was once asked by people at the Ford company to help name a new car? Did she? Well, she tried. She tried to come up with um, some names for this new car that was coming out uh, in 1955, and uh, she thought about it for a while, and here are the inspirational names for the new Ford car. They included Resilient Bullet, Ford Silver Sword, Varsity Stroke, Pastelogram, and my favorite, Utopian Turtle Top. Um, okay. <laughs> what did they end up using? Edsel. Oh. <laughs> I had no idea, but apparently this is in... Uh, in. It helps to have good source material. Yes. Maybe she just wasn't inspired by the machine. I, I think Utopian Turtle Top, I would buy one of those in a second. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I might rent one. There's no marketing department alive that will let that name stand. <laughs> I've heard worse. What about Probe? Uh, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> Who wants to be rear-ended by one of those? 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, Grant. Uh, hello, Martha. This is uh, Pete. I'm calling from Bloomington, Indiana. Hi, Hi Pete. Pete. Welcome. Uh, I work at a food co-op. This is a college town, and so the, the food co-op's a pretty big deal here. Mm-hmm. We have our, our share, or maybe more than our share, of... Uh, skinny jeans and hipsters, and we also have the uh, Stocks and Locks group, the uh, Birkenstocks and Dreadlocks. <laughs> and uh, like so we were, we were just uh, 
chatting one day about the uh, increase in the number of vegans that uh, we serve at our food co-op and mm-hmm. elsewhere around town. And it occurred to me that um, I've worked here for 30 years, and uh, I don't remember uh, vegan being a, um, a word around much when I, when I started here. And so that uh, just got me to wondering if uh, I feel like uh, vegetarian is a word that's existed for a long time, but I don't know if that's true about the word vegan. Um, and then I also I'm curious why it isn't vegan or vegan with a soft G, because that's what's in vegetarian. Mm-hmm. So. You're right. Yeah, vegetarian has been around a lot longer than vegan, and we know exactly where vegan comes from. It goes back to 1944. <laughs> really? Yeah, there was a guy named Donald Watson who was the founder of the UK Vegan Society, and uh, he wrote a newsletter back in the day called The Vegan News, and he suggested that that word be created by using the beginning of the word vegetarian and the uh-huh. end of the word vegetarian. And he was interviewed about that term later on because there are different pronunciations of it. And he insisted that the correct pronunciation was vegan. Oh, really? Not and vegan was, or vegan or vegan, although you hear people saying those from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think yes. a couple of those end up in, in dictionaries. I've heard, vegan, I've heard vegan used uh, now and then. Yeah, um, I've heard it used it, a lot, actually. Are you a vegan yourself? No, I'm not. I see. Okay. All right. Um, I'm I'm certainly into into natural foods. Uh-huh. That's our focus here. But uh, um, on, under the heading of natural foods, we try to we try to specialize in anything anybody wants from us. So there it is. Very good. Well, thanks so much for calling. Well, thank you. I love the show, and I um, appreciate your uh, assistance on this subject. Sure thing. Thanks, Pete. Good day. Bye bye. If you've got a question about the history of a word, we can try to help. If you've got a question about how to say it, we can help with that, too. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Technology, of course, gives us a lot of new words. Here's one that's new to me, maybe new to you. Morphe. Do you know this? Morphe? How do you spell that? M-O-R-P-H-E-E. Morphe. No, I don't know that. These are mobile devices that change. Uh, They can be a game player or they can be uh, uh, your phone or they can plug into the dashboard of your car. They're flexible, twistable. They can do all different kinds of things and take different shapes. And so they're kind of like universal electronic devices that interface with your, your world. Very interesting. Yeah, morphies. Huh. They, you can hear that in the name. They morph. They yeah, change. Yeah, so it's a noun. Yeah, hmm. morphy. 877-929-9673. More of your questions and stories about language. Stay with us. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine away with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive, easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash ad-free. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. A recent poll found that 82% of Americans believe that women should have social, political, and economic equality. But only 20% of those same respondents said that they'd actually call themselves a feminist. So what's going on here? It turns out that some feminists, in fact, are now wondering if it's time to ditch the label feminist. And that really surprised me, but there's an arresting essay on this topic online by Abigail Rhine, and she's a professor at George Fox University in Oregon, and she has two advanced degrees in feminist studies, but even she is increasingly ambivalent about the word. 
She says that if you call yourself a feminist, a lot of people get immediately defensive, and then you spend half the conversation trying to put them at ease and saying some of my best friends right. are men, you know, I'm married to one, whatever. And so much so that this term feminist actually gets in the way of the information that she's trying to impart. And so she talks about how feminism has a branding problem, and she asks the question, why are we hell-bent on salvaging the label? We talk on the show all the time about language changing and words evolving. And this feels like an instance where a word might be evolving right under our feet. And indeed, if you're talking to other feminists, there's no problem with saying it. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that increasingly feminists, many feminists are having to do some kind of code switching. You know, It's a loaded term then you're saying now, right? People assume that you're an evil man hater if you say feminist. Well, I think that's an interesting question. What are people assuming if you say that? Why do they immediately have to go on the defensive? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was coming of age, I thought that 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 was a great word for describing problems that were coming to light, that people were beginning to talk about. Um, So it was a little more neutral then. Yeah, and I think I think that uh, you know people have co-opted the term. Mm-hmm. Commentators have used it to 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 box it in and and make it mean one small thing. So, does the author of the piece suggest alternatives? Um, she just suggests not even using the term. Oh, I see. And and it's interesting. There's another term that's starting to float around, um, at least in the academic world. It's curiarchy. K-Y-R-I, archi. And it comes from a Greek word that means Lord uh, or master, like Kyrie eleison, mm-hmm. you know, Lord have mercy. And some people are beginning to use the word kyriarchy as opposed to patriarchy. They're saying that the analysis of patriarchy is too narrow, that there are all kinds of oppression, and that kyriarchy reflects the fact that uh, that there are more things to be fought against than just gender discrimination. You know, there, there's mm-hmm. racial discrimination and uh, other kinds. And they're all interwoven. Yeah, yeah. And, and for example, part of it has to do with the fact that feminism got so identified with white women mm-hmm. as opposed to women of color right. as well. And so kyriarchy is a term that people are starting to use, just starting to use. It was coined by an academic, so we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. But to reflect the fact that there are all different kinds of oppression, and if you're a white heterosexual woman, then you're in a position of privilege as opposed to certain other people. Right. You know. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite an <laughs> unpacking there. Stuff, yeah. Heavy right? duty stuff. <laughs> We're going to link to that article. There are a number of conversations already underway on our Facebook page and our Facebook group about this article. Yeah. And we'd love to hear what you have to say about it as well. Yeah, that article, again, it's What's the author's name? Her name is Abigail Ryan. And I have to say I'm really torn about this because I, I happen to like the term a lot. But she makes some very good points there. So look for that on our website. You can reach us if you've got questions or comments about this or anything at all related to language at 877-929-9673 or email us words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Eric from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Hi, Eric. Welcome. How are you doing? Good. How, How can we help you? We're doing well. How can we help you? I've uh, got a question for you. When I was a kid, I enjoyed a um, delicious frozen treat that I called uh, Sherbert. Mm-hmm. And I went to my my neighbor's house, who's like my grandpa, and he corrected me and said, no, no, it's sure bit, with no second R at the end. Mm -hmm. And he showed me the label, and he was right. So I changed changed how I pronounced it, and I try to correct people (laughs) when I hear it's wrong, when they say it uh, differently. Um, The debate has kind of escalated amongst my spouse and then uh, my coworkers. I was just curious to know if you guys could clarify why there are two different ways to uh, say this word, and then uh, how much more right I am than they are. <laughs> yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, tell us a little bit more about that debate. You're millions more right. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Call over. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I try to correct my wife, and she rolls her eyes, and, and uh, so finally I decided to pull my coworkers and say, so how do you, how do you say this? And, and one would say, oh, sure, Bert, and... You know, it kind of escalated. I found out I was the only one, uh, maybe one or two others, um, who actually um, said it sure bit. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. even though the label, uh, even though the label clearly says sure bit. <laughs> uh, you're right. You're you're absolutely right, though. It should be sure bit, or if you just want to avoid the argument, just call it sorbet and be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> or sorbet. 
Sorbit I could do that, but then I'd have to change my ways. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I did that as a kid as well. It was sherbet for me. I didn't know mm-hmm. any better until I had a similar experience. Somebody said, "Oh, look, that's weird. We all say sherbet, but it doesn't. It's not spelled that way." I was like, "I was like, oh." Well, I yeah, I looked at it. Looked at a package once and and said, my, "Mom, it's it's spelled wrong on the package. <laughs> <laughs> it's got an R in there. I mean, it doesn't have an R." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is this kind of related to the wash wash? A little bit, thing? yeah. It's a it's a form of intrusive R. It doesn't follow the exact same kind of um, behavior as the other intrusive R's. This is when you put an R sound where one isn't called for according to standard pronunciation or the spelling. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It is really widespread, though. The Sherbert thing pronunciation is so widespread um, that some places have, as you might expect, you know where I'm going with this, have just given up and go ahead and spell it with that second R, even though it's not required. Okay. Um, but okay. but the traditional spelling and pronunciation do not have that second R. Sure. Now I live in a or I work in a pretty precise field, and um, you know. So, is there any way you can quantify how much more right I am? <laughs> <laughs> what is your field? Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer, and we make. Uh, oh, right. You you okay. are right by um, four million um, pounds per square inch. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's just an estimate, though. Just an estimate. Give or oh. take 10%, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be different when we actually get the parts. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but but you're, you're good to go there. Just uh, Although I, I just want to make a tiny little note. You probably should avoid correcting people unless they ask you to. Yeah, okay. Uh, I can but you that. can tell them. <laughs> everyone that you've broached this subject with before, you can tell them that you're right. Yeah. Okay. They owe you. Okay. Thanks, Eric. I'll escalate it to match their intensity. Thanks, guys. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there we go. Thank you very much. Very good. Yeah, bye. Thanks a lot for calling. Bye-bye. If you have a dispute in your workplace about a word, you can call us at 877-929-9673. When the great lexicographer Noah Webster decided to establish some new changes to English spelling in the Americas. Mm -hmm. One of the changes he wanted to make was to take these words that are in English from Greek origins, where we have a CH pronounced with a K, Mm -hmm. and just go ahead and replace them in spelling with a K. So a word like chorus would have been spelled K-O-R-U-S. Oh, really? Or the word character might have been spelled (laughs) K-A-R-A-C-T-E-R. Of course, this is one of those places where his spelling reform didn't work at all. Uh But it's interesting to go back through his notes and see that he had a very vast plan for changing the American English. So if all of his changes had succeeded, our English would probably look as different from British English as, say, Haitian Creole does from French. It's really interesting. That is fascinating stuff. But very few of the changes he wanted to make actually lasted in American English. Yeah, just a few. Just a few. I wonder why. Uh, Because we're stubborn. And also, at the time he was wanting to make these changes, a lot of what we were reading was British. Right, right, right. And spelling reform tends to be a bust It almost always fails because the kind of people who lead it tend to be pompous and misguided. Yeah, yeah. Although Teddy Roosevelt tried, too. Pompous. Maybe not misguided, (laughs) but definitely pompous. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, Martha. Grant. Uh, This is Rolf Gidlow from Stratton, Vermont. Hi, Hi, Ralph. What's up? Hi. I was calling um, because recently I've heard the word reticent used when I really think it should be reluctant. And it happened often enough that I got to wondering if they've actually become, if those two words have actually become synonymous. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't see them as being related at all, but... It was, I think it was a radio reporter or something saying that so-and-so was reticent to say anything, and clearly I would have used reluctant. So I know that words sometimes, their, their meaning shift, and I was wondering if this might be one of those cases. Mm-hmm. There has been a little bit of shift, but tell us in your own words what you think the difference is between reluctant and reticent. Well, I see reticent more as a characteristic, um, someone who's maybe a little averse to speaking, um, who just doesn't say much, or maybe a little taciturn, uh, mm-hmm. whereas reluctant is just not wanting to say something because either you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or else you don't want to, like, if there's something going on that you don't want to conjecture, uh, you don't want to <clears throat> offer information that may not be correct. So I see 
I see reticent as a characteristic and re- reluctant as something that more you know, an unwillingness to being cautious about speaking. Um, that could be used. The pragmatics of both of these word, words aren't completely clear. Probably more simply put, we might say that if you are reluctant, you can be reluctant to do anything. So mm-hmm. you can be reluctant to go jogging or reluctant to um, yes. go to dinner with your in-laws or what have you. But if you're right. reticent, it really only applies to one thing. You are reluctant to speak. Mm-hmm. And whatever your motivations are for being reluctant, we don't really know because it's not contained within the meaning of the word. But you are mm-hmm. reluctant to speak and therefore you're reticent. But so, so the problem that you're hearing, I'm pretty sure because we've all seen it and this is it's very common. People say he was reticent to go to the store to buy more milk, or he was reticent to stand up in court and speak up for himself. You're like, well, exactly. Um, the first one is incorrect. The second okay. one is probably correct. So, oh, it's, okay. reticent is just about speaking. Yeah, and I interestingly see. enough, I mean, you mentioned the word taciturn, and both reticent and taciturn come from the same Latin root, which means uh, to be silent. It's like tacit. No yeah. So there's a connection there, and a good way to remember it. Uh-huh. And I like having the distinction. Yeah, to me they mean very distinctly different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, thanks, okay. Rolf, for the call. I hope You're that helps. Right. You're Thank right. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're all spot right. on. Thanks, sir. Bye bye. Bye bye. Call us with your language questions. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Here's a writing term I didn't know, a plot bunny. A plot bunny? Do you know what a plot bunny is? Oh, All right, no. so you're writing something, yeah. let's say a piece of fiction, yeah. and you get this wild idea when you're driving around doing errands or you're doing your daily business and you're not at the table writing, yeah. right? Yeah. And you just can't stop thinking about your plot bunny, <laughs> and you have to write the plot bunny. The plot bunny is the thing that you just can't stop thinking about and you must put on paper, plot bunny. We'd love to hear words that you've just discovered. 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Lori from North Carolina. Hi, Lori. Where in North Carolina are you? Well, I'm standing in Jacksonville, North Carolina, but I live in Swansboro. Okay. I have lived here in North Carolina for about seven years now. And there are a group of people who live in Carteret County. They're, oh... What, what, what we call down east, over towards Harker's Island and out that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my husband worked with many people like this, and they would use a word that was called pure tea momic. And <laughs> I always thought the word meant something like, I don't know, confused or angry mm-hmm. or um, it, it was just something different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm one of those Yankees that moved down here, and uh-huh. I... You know, where in the world would this word come from, and do I have the use proper, I guess, mm-hmm. what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. So when would you hear this term? Um, like a situation. A situation. Well, if somebody's telling a story, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe somebody cut them off in traffic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was purity momicked. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> because somebody cut them off. I mean, the funny part of it is, if you go out into Moorhead City or over into Beaufort, you can even find T-shirts and coffee mugs with this word on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with with momicked, huh? Yeah. 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 Well, you're right. It's a it's definitely a negative term that can mean anything from all messed up to harassed or bothered or teased mm-hmm. or even even beaten up. And um, <laughs> you hear it all over the South, but particularly in Eastern North Carolina, you hear that mm-hmm. sense of of it having to do with harassing or bothering a cat might momic a mouse before it uh, actually kills it, that kind of thing. Okay. And it goes back to an old word that actually means to tear into pieces, M-A-M-M-O-C-K, momic. And in fact, Shakespeare used it that way in one of his plays. No way. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, that. I'm an English teacher. Ah, very <laughs> good. Very good. Well, we'll go look at Coriolanus because okay. that play uses that sense of the word, um, mamic, meaning to tear into pieces. Okay. Can you spell that again? Well, um, the way that, that you probably see it on the coffee mugs or the T-shirts or whatever is M-O-M-M-I-C-K-E-D, right? Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah. yeah. But in the, in the historical sense, it's M-A-M-M-O-C-K, right? Yes. Mamic. Yes, correct. That's how she there's the verb it. and the noun. The noun just means pieces or shreds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you might have a bunch of mamic just be like residue or debris from, mm-hmm. from something. Mm-hmm. Oh, kind of like your brain when you're confused. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the first part of that expression, pure tea moment, what's the pure yeah. tea? The, the pure and tea, I don't know. Like I don't the know letter T, is that the way yeah. they're spelling it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun one, too. Um, the pure T is a version of pure D. And if you're uh, a good uh, conservative Southerner, you might say pure D instead of pure damned. That's what that oh, means. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Very interesting. So we're trying not to cuss. So, exactly. So purity really basically confused. means completely or totally. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Pure. Oh, Damn. Messed up. Okay. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Lori. We really appreciate the question. <laughs> thanks. Bye-bye. Looking in the historical record, we can find that Mamak does pop up all over North America, but for some reason it's become associated with just the Carolinas, right? Mm-hmm, it's kind right. of what we call a chamber of commerce word. They're rather proud that they have it, right? Right, sort of like UFTA up in the uh, yeah. north. So when you want to find out, you know, when you start to talk about what a real local is, that's one of the first things that they bring up is yes. language like pure tea Mamak. Yeah. I like it. If you've got language that you think makes you a local, we would love to know what it is. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. We had a lot of late cold weather this year, which spawned a term that I'd never seen before. Okay. People were talking about it being February 90th. Because <laughs> it's like a February lasted for two more right, months. Right, right. I like that. <laughs> February Boy. 90th. That's yeah. a very cold spring. Yeah, uh, you could extend that in the summer, right? <laughs> right. July right. 90th. <laughs> July Global 90th. Warmth. <laughs> Global warmth. Nice. <laughs> Email us words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty. That's pass. the end of this week's show. For more Away With Words, including hundreds of episodes, a blog, a newsletter, a dictionary, mobile apps, and conversations with other listeners, go to waywardradio.org. Our phone line is open 24 hours a day, 877-929-9673. Email's great to words at waywardradio.org. We're also on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and Google+. Our production staff includes Stephanie Levine, Tim Felton, James Ramsey, and Josette Herdell. Away With Words is produced and distributed by Wayward Inc., a nonprofit supported by caring listeners and sponsors. Just as we do, they believe in lifelong learning, better human communication, and the value of a thing well said or well written. The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. So long. Bye bye. Let's call the whole thing off. You like potato and I like potato. You like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part. And oh, Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.